Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 129 with Matthew Aravello of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name's Nathan Chan and I'm your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. I'm the CEO of Founder Magazine and also the host of this podcast. All right, guys, so we're getting well into 2017. I hope you've had a great start to your year. Make sure you keep hustling. Make sure you've got goals set. Make sure if you haven't, set a goal pyramid or create a goal pyramid. If you haven't yet, make sure you check out episode number 56 with Matthew Michaelwitz or episode number 17 where he showcases and shares how to do that. It's something, it's a process and practice that I've done for a very long time. It's incredibly powerful. And for some reason, when I write those goals down, they always come to life. But anyways, enough about me. Let's talk about today's guest, Matthew Aravello the founder of a company called Loot Crate. Wow, I had only just heard of these guys recently and the way that they came to my attention was from being in the Inc. 5000 list. And uh, if you guys are not familiar, like Inc. do like a 5000 list where it's like the, the fastest growing 5000 companies in America and, you know, we've, we have interviewed a lot of founders that are in this list and a lot of founders of companies that are in this list, obviously. And um, pretty much like the reason that we interview these people because they're growing fast companies. They know something that we don't. They're sharing their experiences so we can learn from them how we can build fast growth companies too because that's what we're here to do. 
and make an impact in a very, very big way. And these guys were number one in the Inc. 5000 list for 2016. Their revenue for 2015 was 116.2 million and their three-year growth was 66,000%. And uh, Loot Crate is a subscription box essentially for gamers. Um, in the you know, they do a lot of cool stuff, a lot of other stuff for gamers and enthusiasts around Harry Potter or Game of Thrones or or Pokemon Go, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, look, these guys are very, very smart, fast growth company, fastest growing company in America, and they share a lot of gold. You know, <laughs> what can I say? Uh, Matthew does not hold back. Uh, amazingly humble guy. And uh, we hear all the stories of how they started, how they managed growth. How do you manage the, the growth of a company that fast? It's insane. Anyways, that's it from me. Let's jump into the show. But before I do, I just wanted to say, if you are enjoying these episodes, please, please, please do check out the fruits of our labor, like the magazine, the blog, um, any of our free guides or eBooks. You know, we're all about just sharing and, and providing as much value to you guys as possible. So make sure you check that out. All right, guys, I hope you have a fantastic day wherever you are around the world. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is how'd you get your job? My job here as the chief experience officer and co-founder at Loot Crate. That's yeah. uh, it's actually an interesting story. You know, I, I had not previously met my co-founder, Chris Davis, who's our CEO, uh, until I met him at a Los Angeles hackathon that was called Startup Weekend Los Angeles in 2012. It's an event where entrepreneurs in the LA area come, whether they be developers or marketers or uh, you know, finance or designers, and they all kind of get together and split up into teams, working around an idea. And in 54 hours, they present to a judge uh, panel of known kind of VCs and, and known tech kind of advisors, and then uh, uh, win uh, you know prizes and get some recognition. Some of them go on to continue to do what they kind of came up with during that weekend. And some of them don't. And in that particular case, I met Chris. We worked together on Loot Crate with a group of a handful of other folks. And at the end of the weekend, while we didn't win first or second place, not even third place, we were the only company when we gave our presentation to say, you know, this is a subscription product where we take credit cards in exchange for what we're promising. And we already have generated revenue. And so at the end of that uh, presentation, you know, we, we then kind of met afterwards. Two weeks later, we were starting full time on it as co-founders, and uh, about a couple of weeks after that, we shipped our first box to 220 people. Fantastic! And look, you guys are experiencing tremendous growth. One of like the fastest growing company in the U.S. Uh, turnover of 116 million revenue uh, for 2015. I read a lot about you. I'm really, really excited to speak with you because. I think you're absolutely nailing it in so many aspects. Um, and I just want to congratulate you on all the success, but I'm really curious, is this your guy's first business? Chris had a, had a company beforehand that was in the food and gaming space called Gamer Food um, that he was, he was running. I was running kind of a small consulting 
group that was myself, my wife, a couple of other kind of part-time people, and then some collaborators that we would work on projects together. And I was working with companies to help develop their community, to focus their kind of brand positioning, to build up their production efforts, and kind of sunsetted all of that beforehand. Um, and Chris as well kind of took, you know, I'd had some, had some previous work with startups in the past, and we, we kind of just both stopped doing both of those things. Previously, I've worked at Apple and Microsoft, a security company called Trend Micro out of Japan, and just a handful of positions that I feel, thankfully, uh, kind of just like Chris, given us the, the background and experience, especially during a really important time for brands' uh, evolution through social uh, to put us in a really good position. Yeah, I see. So it sounds like, you know, um, still reasonably like green. Like, um, so I'm, I'm really curious, like, do you guys have an unfair competitive advantage when you, like when you first started Loot Crate? Did, like, could you, could you, if you could nail it, both you and Chris, what was your unfair competitive advantage that no one in the marketplace had to be able to achieve what you guys have achieved at such a fast rate? Well, I think it's one of those things where, you know, subscription boxes had been around and had existed in the past, but a lot of the focus had been on sampling. It had been on, you know, trying to get samples of products into a box and get them out to folks. And that product would be, you know, at a very low cost and you could put it in the same size kind of small little pink or blue box and send it out. And while they had community engagement, they didn't, and they had some sort of ties to the brands that were in the boxes they were shipping, Loot Crate really was the first company to work directly and say, we're going to put full-size apparel, figures, collectibles, and items that pop culture fans gravitate towards and have an emotional connection to, and do it in such a way that our community dictates what is going to be in there. So beyond just selecting, you know, I'm interested in this type of thing and that type of thing, and the box being customized, everybody has this shared experience and everybody in our community contributes to where we focus as a business and, and how we go about doing things. So I, I believe that it was really just more about our, our commitment and focus to, to doing something new for an audience that we were fans of already. You know, both Chris and I are very interested in the entertainment space. We're video game uh, aficionados. And it just uh, it seemed to be something that, that, that made sense at the time. Hmm, interesting. Um, so like when you go to your website, one thing I noted, which was interesting is, is you, you know, you specifically say, you know, geek subscription box for gamers and nerds. And before, you know, I didn't really know, I don't really know personally, to be honest, much about this market. Like I love, um, Overwatch. That's a great game, epic game. That I love to play with my little brother, but I don't really know much about this market but one thing i can tell you that i've noticed we've just running a kickstarter campaign at the moment uh for one of our products and there was one like cards game that has raised you know 6.5 million dollars you know i guess targeting that market uh and it raised like 6.5 million dollars still with like 30 days to go it seems very very um i guess the people that are in that market um are very i guess engaged yeah you know the the I, I think this is a, a demographic of, of individuals who had been having conversations about what they were interested in online. They were purchasing items and choosing to, to 
uh, showcase their fandom in, in, in ways that was a little more subtle. And that the the general rise of acceptance of pop culture and of you know people being, being instead of just having that Captain America figure on their desk, being comfortable to wear a Captain America T-shirt and jeans to work to say like, hey, you know, I like comics. I'm a fan of Marvel and Captain America. That shift because of the the way that the entertainment studios were were gravitating more towards this kind of geek and pop culture. Uh, was was very advantageous for us and allowed us to to serve that market with a unique product that they hadn't seen before. And I think the way that it became a celebration every month and that we would change the themes up and that we weren't just selling a single product or a single figure line was something that was was very unique. and and we're we're happy to be serving a number of fans in different niches from being the official WWE subscription service as well as, uh, the official Halo subscription service with Microsoft. We've got some really amazing products that are coming out in 2017. And those two products I just mentioned just scratched the surface. We have over 10 uh, subscription lines that uh, makes it perfect for anybody who considers themselves a fan uh, of something and wants to join in that community and get exclusive licensed items that they can't get anywhere else. Yeah, wow. Okay, you guys are really nailing it. So... Just to circle back, you said to me that um, Startup Weekend, you guys are the only people that first had revenue. You're the only ones to have revenue. So that does that mean that you sold within the the, the two-day period? Yeah, during that 54 hours, we set up using, you know, a, a kind of off-the-shelf platforms that would allow us to accept credit card payments, to create a website. We used Twitter Bootstrap, actually, just to kind of build the first site. And solicited you know i went through my rolodex of people that i knew in the entertainment kind of geek space contacts that i'd made over the years and said hey i'm doing this hackathon and chris did his, his outreach as well and we said hey we're doing this try and share it with your friends this is something that's interesting and you know we didn't get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to sign up but during that first month to get uh 220 uh people to sign up for the service and receive the boxes and during that weekend to just get you know, a few dozen people to say, this is a company that didn't exist hours ago, yet this is an interesting concept. The pricing is right. All of it was there. And, you know, our very first subscriber uh, came from Canada. Her name's Ava Chan. And to this day, she's still a subscriber with us years later. And we see her at shows and everything. And wow. the way she came across it was she just saw a link that was posted by a friend and she went to the website. She thought it was interesting. She signed up and, you know, she stayed with us ever since. And our, you know, we have over 650,000 subscribers in 35 countries today. And it's, it's a very engaged and very passionate audience that we're proud to represent and to provide, you know, fan experiences for through our products, through our digital communities that we have online and through an event presence that we have at, at shows around the world. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So, after the hackathon, you and Chris, you went full time on it. What happened next? The growth was very quick. You know, in 2012, we went from buying just white boxes, you know, from cardboard manufacturers and laying them out on the floor and just walking by and being like, oh, we have to drop this item in here and this item there. Okay, now we have the 220 cards. Well, let's do membership cards for people. And we got to put this card here and here. And it was a very manual process. We even just bought a couple of stamps that just had the logo Loot Crate on them from a local company here in LA and hand stamped each box. And 
we did that hand stamping hand, you know, us packing it, Chris and I as well, uh, for a few months before we started using a service called TaskRabbit to bring in some people who were going to be able to help <laughs> us out with that. And uh, it was just amazing to see, you know, it went from a whole wall of boxes to a room to us filling up the back of a car and making a couple of trips to the post office nearby to the post office dropping off a giant, you know, flatbed, not flatbed, but a, a giant shipping container and trucks. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just continued to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And to this day, we still run our own operations out of a separate facility. You know, we learned from scratch. We, we went from hand packing the boxes to having whole automated systems and a, over 300 people who, who ship out 70,000 boxes a day out of a separate warehouse. And I think that complete kind of control of the operation allows us to be nimble and allows us to, to create really exceptional experiences that, that go from everything from the, the car, the, the corrugate that we ship it to, to making sure that you get the right tracking and the right information and everything when you need it. I see. And when it comes to, you said that things were growing really fast what besides an amazing product and really knowing your market was fueling that growth? A lot of the growth came from us celebrating the way that our community was experiencing the products that we were putting in the crate. So, you know, I devoted the entire portion of my day to reaching out personally to these individuals to showcase the photos that they were putting on Instagram to develop some videos of us around the office, kind of peeling back the curtain and saying like, we're not this big giant company. While the items we have in here are, are, you know, licensed and interesting. We are just a group of fans like you. And I think allowing people to see that story happen created a, a base of subscribers and community that wanted to go on this journey with us and that we're able to tell their friends more of a story than this is just a great product that I was able to sign up for at some website. But they would tell the stories about meeting us at events or the funny videos we were doing from the office, or you have to see what their packing operation is. Like I watched it three months ago, and then they just shared a video of what it looks like today, thanking us for their growth. And that kind of conversation and, and brand kind of awareness was very strong for us. And we also focused on items very early on that are similar just today, they're just more, you know, data driven. And back then it was, you know, just kind of how we felt as fans, but we focused on items that were shareable, that were unique, and that were interesting. Things that you wanted to show to your friends and family. And then as a company, we didn't just bolt social on or bolt on community engagement. From day one, we had a Facebook page. From day one, we had a Twitter account. And, you know, we came from a background of individuals that use these platforms as a method of determining uh, a value and an interest in, in companies and their products. And so we, we took that, that same information, that same experience and, and built it into a fan platform um, that we're very proud of today and, and that uh, we're happy to, to continue to see grow. So you would say that um, something that was fueling a lot of the traction was all the social media platforms? Did you work at mastering one at a time or it just kind of, you know, from the, from fostering the community and sharing your content behind the scenes, all the channels really grow. Was there any in particular that really stood out? Well, anything visual was, was very big, you know, so things like Instagram and YouTube were, were very big for us. Um, then, you know, in 2012, 2013, 
YouTube and unboxing videos and, you know, taking the time, whether you were an influencer with a large audience or just an everyday person was very open and very mature at that point. We were here in LA and we had direct relationships with, you know, some of the agencies that represent big talent that were dig- that were influencers on these social platforms. And so it was mostly, mostly visual, but there was a lot of production involved, you know, like the same kind of care and attention that Chris was giving to the business infrastructure, making sure that we were providing great support and great service. And, you know, as our CEO focusing on everything a CEO needs to focus on, you know, we were, it, it, it was long days, you know, it was 14 hour days, sometimes 20 hour days, seven days a week, building the, the infrastructure that today is a community department and building the infrastructure today that is a service design organization. And, you know, it, it wasn't any one platform that was bigger. It was, I think it was all together. But if I had to say the, the ones that, that did best, seeing as how we ship a physical product, a lot of it was the, the more visual platforms and, and our usage of them. Mm, I see. And is there any particular growth hacks that you could attribute to to the growth? I know like our audience loves growth hacking. You know, I think it was just, we, we tried a lot of various different things and we were not really averse to to risking some things and seeing what the feedback would be, you know, and, and when we would try something and it would have, you know, either not as positive or even a slight kind of negative reaction from the community. We were quick to, to recognize that, to let the community know that we hear them and move in a different direction. There isn't, there, you know, I can't really think of any specific things like, oh, we did this one growth hack trick that did this. A lot of it was focusing on, you know, the fact that there wasn't any kind of shortcuts to get to where we wanted to go. And thinking about this as a long-term business, thinking about this as this isn't an app we're trying to develop to be super valuable and our exit strategy is this, or, hey, we want to build, you know, this subscription box company that will someday just, you know, be an e-commerce play. We, we, we truly did believe in those early days that we were creating a community that was going to be a brand of brands and a house of brands and something that would be able to live on. And so I, I think the net, the result of that kind of strategy of letting people know that this is something that is ever evolving and including them in the process with our community, as well as limiting any kind of friction or any roadblocks that would allow them to share their experiences not just with their friends and family, but with us, was the most important thing that we did early on as far as growth was concerned. Mm, interesting. You know, this is really fascinating because I guess um, what I was looking for is you might have said to me, oh, you know, we have like, you know, like Dropbox where, where they had that, you know, amazing growth hack where it's, um, you know, a viral loop where it's a refer a friend and you get, you know, a, a free one gig if you get a sign up and that just kind of flowed on or if you had something yeah, so nothing of the sort that um, has been. I mean, we did it. We, we, this again, like, you know, like my previous experience before Loot Crate was working with a lot of brands in doing these, in, in doing these types of things and building a community that is authentic and passionate and, you know, given the right tools that they need in order to express themselves. So it was a suite of different uh, ideas and strategies, all of which are things that are tried and true. And then some things that, you know, we, we tried you know, based off of just, you know, a, a suspicion that something that might work. So everything from referral programs and influencer network, working with YouTubers to allow them to create content um, around our products every month, 
our relationships where we started to get closer with the brands and the studios and find out what their needs were, where their fans were located, what they were talking about. You know, it was it it, it was it was really just a very broad spread of things. And mm. while it is infinitely more complicated today, and you know, we have data scientists and marketing analysts and you know people who are responsible for a lot of really uh, really complex data. Back then, it was it was the strategy was just create the best product we can, make it as easy to share as possible, stay authentic, you know, have a true brand voice, and you know things just kind of fell into place as we continued to just reinvest in the business. Got you. Um, can you talk to us about investors? Are you guys, you know, you bootstrapped? Oh yeah, we well we bootstrapped the for the first that that growth of the company. Everything that you see when it comes to any kind of awards or or listings that we have, that growth came prior to any kind of funding or investment. So the 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 growth that that we the growth recognition that we've seen was entirely based off of bootstrapping the company and reinvesting our resources back into it. Uh, it wasn't only, it was only until earlier this year that we took a strategic series a round with some really great partners to kind of further the growth of the business and to give us access to advisors and resources that would allow us to kind of take this thing to the next level yeah wow that's really interesting so listing on the ink um 5000 was was a good move you think i think it was it was something that allowed us to be able to share and and talk about you know how it is we built what we did and it served as a, as a good method for us to show other companies and other businesses what it is we do and, and why we do it and what our capabilities could be you know and by the, by that same token you know it is it is always great to to get some extra press for your business and and was, was something that we really hadn't focused on in those first early years and so we were happy to be able to share with our community that recognition and you know ultimately every looter out there that that shares in that growth and that contributed to it. So it was, we were very proud of our community and our employees uh, and the hard work that we put in in order to get that. You know, all awards are, are recognition and validation that we're on the right path. And it's while we can look at our community and get that as, as a baseline of how we're, how we're doing in, in a engagement fashion, these types of rewards allow us to be able to see that our, our feedback loop is is working and that we're on the right path from a business perspective. And that's, that's a, uh, it was really great for us. We're really proud of that. Mm, yeah, no, you guys are doing amazing stuff. So for the series A, are you able to share details? I mean, a lot of it's been published already. You know, some of the, the, the round was led by a really great LA company, which is uh, upfront ventures. Uh, we also had time incorporated as a investor, Robert Downey Jr.'s Downey ventures, uh, Sterling VC, off the east coast and uh you know a number of of uh partners that we work together on that round to uh to kind of get us in the right place for for the next couple of years and uh, and you know from a strategic perspective um they've been they've been really great partners for us and uh yeah, we're really excited about it so yeah in the early days you were you were fueling fueling growth from reinvesting profit to to move that many boxes though like physical products is is quite a capital intensive business how are you managing um cash flow well the sub subscription businesses have their pros and cons and like when when a subscription business 
is not working and you know you have less subscribers in one month than the month they had before because somehow your your product offering is just that it is just product you know our investment in a community our investment in an experience driven platform that is ultimately of course centered around the products that we ship but i think the value that our subscribers give to us isn't just based around just those items well it may start there and that is the biggest thing you know it really is more about the overall experience of being a subscriber of loot crate and i think you know subscribers are willing to invest their time with us in a longer you know more well-defined path that is a, a is great as a subscription box company to be able to do so i see so how did you manage scale uh, continuing you know again it was it was just re the reinvestment of our of our resources whether it be financial or you know actual personnel we we were thankfully able to bring on a lot of people who you know even today some of our top c level recent employees who've come on board are people who knew about loot crate and were fans about it beforehand so you know it wasn't it wasn't very difficult for us to find people who wanted to go on this journey with us you know some of them worked at organizations where they had to focus on a single thing like growing a particular you know film business or pushing a specific product and it was really great to find people who wanted to come on board early and invest their time and energy into to helping us grow. So it's a matter. It was a matter of figuring out how to deal with the messiness that 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 scaling like this is. And and you know there are challenges from a growth perspective that every that we had to go through. And we we really did learn a lot. You know we made some hiccups here and there, but we always focused on making sure that it never negatively impacted the service that we provided. And I think. That consistency and delivery of physical of the physical products and of and of the experience that we promised our subscribers was something that that really helped us, you know, be able to continue to scale and, and grow in the way that we did. Mm, I see. And you said you learned a lot of hard lessons and you had some hard times. Um, and because I agree, like managing growth is difficult, especially at your scale. So that's why I asked how you manage it. Can you tell us um, some stories or, or some things that our audience can learn from? Well, you know, shipping a physical product is is complex, and there's a lot of different things from, you know, the logistics and operations side that Chris and I didn't have the previous experience to do. You know, the we we're at the whim, you know, of shipping and and of factories and things of that nature. So it took us a little while to understand how things work from an international shipping perspective. You know, the fact that we had just a small office space in order to work out of and had to do, you know, meet the space demands of, of, of working, having a team who's really excited and we're surrounded by boxes everywhere. So, you know, we learned about OSHA regulations. We learned about what it takes to, to import products. And, you know, one thing that we did kind of in the first year was we had these really great pixel sunglasses uh, that were orange and black, like our company colors. And we actually found out that because they had UV protection, we actually had to register as a medical device importer. And we had to scramble and get the paperwork together and everything. Here we are, we're like, oh, these just be great, you know, great sunglasses in August and, you know, uh, or, or during the summer, rather. And people are going to really love it. And Chris is like on the phone pretty much 24 hours just trying to talk to the port and figure out like what are the delays and what paperwork do we need and everything. You know, so it, it's... It was definitely something that we had to, to learn as we went along, but the shipments went out on time and even bigger issues where there were port delays and 
strikes in the Los Angeles shipping ports, we were able to navigate around and successfully deliver the product on time as promised. That was even during the holidays. It was things like that, just silly things like you can't just go and buy a forklift. No, you need to like have training and what kind of forklift should you buy? Should it be diesel or electric? And, oh, we need to put like a new charging station in the warehouse because it's a high voltage thing. Like all of those things are just one out of millions of things that we had to deal with back then and try and solve. And today with all the products that we have, it's even more complex, but thankfully we have a, you know, incredibly talented and diverse creative team um, who works on solving those things every day. And I think even our looter community doesn't really kind of understand everything that goes into it. And we're doing a little bit more to kind of show behind the scenes what it takes to create these products from scratch and, and, and create this kind of exclusive experience. But it definitely, uh, it, there was definitely some, some long hours and some lessons that we had to kind of lick our wounds and figure out how to do what we said we were going to do. And we always focus on making sure the customer would never be impacted. And if so, we specifically called it out and didn't try and, and sugarcoat it. We just said, we learned from this and we're going to do better. And we, were gonna, we fixed the situation and it's not going to happen again. I see. And talk to me about sacrifices. Um, you know, to get where you guys are today, what, what you in particular as a founder, what are, can you share with us some of the sacrifices that you've had to make to get where you are today? Uh, well, thankfully for both Chris and I, again, this is a a business that is centered around things that we are passionate about. You know, I, while it is, you know, long, and especially back then, you know, it was long hours of just like coming in, working the entire day. Oh, there's this thing, fire needs to be put out. Oh, but there's this really great thing that happens here. And then coming home late at night, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're working with really amazing products and partners like Marvel and Microsoft and Sony and Fox. And, you know, to be able to see the smile on people's faces when they, you know, took a chance on us because we are a mystery and we told them we're going to de deliver this amazing box centered around a theme. And we see the photos online. We see the families doing unboxings together. We see people telling us stories about walking down the street and seeing somebody else who has the exclusive t-shirt for that month. And it, it's spurring some sort of conversation and creating friendships. It really makes those sacrifices worthwhile. And, you know, I, my wife works full time here at the company as well. And we have uh, an amazing 15 year old son and we're still able to make it work. You know, we're, we're, we're thankful to work at a company that really cherishes a, a work-life balance and, Chris and I put in those really, really, really hard years in order for us to have a culture here about it. And I said 15-year-old. I meant 15-month. Awesome. Uh, I don't have a 15-year-old son. <laughs> a 15-month son uh, who's a little easier to distract with things like YouTube videos and, and uh, toy cars. But, you know, we, we do make it work. Um, and we make sure that, that we have a culture and a, and a, a work environment that is conducive to a, a nice balance. Hmm, amazing. And... Can you tell me, uh, you said that you guys work, did work a lot of hours um, in the early days. When did things get easier? For myself, you know, uh, while we both are co-founders, you know, Chris and I realized that the, the problems change, but it, it's, it's not really any easier, I would say. You know, we, I think we could have brought in some, some, uh, some folks a little bit earlier on. And I think if we did this again, the way that we would structure bringing in, you know, some experienced leadership 
around certain aspects of the business would, would probably have occurred a little earlier. I don't think it was pride where we're like, we can do this ourselves. It was just a matter of we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't realize the complications of international shipping or vendor relations and things. So, you know, things did become a little bit easier as they brought on some, as I said, really talented people from like Mattel and TrueCar and, um, you know, people who worked at studios and video game companies. But, uh, you know, it, it, it is tough, you know, to, to be able to have a business where you're consistent, consistently seeing growth and trying to roll out more and more products to serve a need that you see that's out there. It, it's tough, but it's fun. And, you know, it, it, we, Chris and I as entrepreneurs really, we like solving challenges and we like sharing that experience um, with others. And, you know, we, we get by. You mentioned also around, you said that uh, you got the pricing right in the early days. Um, what did you mean by that? Well, I mean, we, we thought about the pricing for about 10 minutes <laughs> and realized that this is, you know, that at the time, you know, a nice solid price was about $20 or so to get a box that, you know, would be worth about double that. That seemed to be the appetite for people on a monthly basis. I think we have a little more struggle these days if we had just started the company right now just because of where everybody's dollar is going, you know, Hulu and HBO and Netflix and uh, Spotify and everything. But but at the time, $20 seemed to be right. And as we had a gamer kind of background to us, we pitched the idea of 1337, which is, you know, kind of leet speak for leet uh, in the gamer culture. <laughs> and then just tacked on a, a $6, you know, shipping charge on top of that to say, hey, the final price is 1937. And even that, the idea that it's 1337, and we were talking to a lot of gamers early on, it, it spoke to them. They're like, oh, I get it. Like, mm. it was authentic. It wasn't like, uh, you know, a big stuffy brand being like, let's put emoticons in our subject line emails. That's what the kids like. It was like, we didn't think about doing it as a gimmick. We were just like, that'd be kind of cool. Let's do it. I think back of like with Apple and uh, when Steve Jobs and Wozniak got the price for their very first computer they were selling. Their number was a little bit more potentially controversial being $666.66, but that's what they decided to price it. And, you know, it was like, it, it, it meant something. And it was, it was just small little things like that, that we would rally around where people were like, what's your price? Like 1337. They're like, Oh, one, three, three, seven, you know? And, and it was, it was just small little things like that, that allowed us to do it. Um, but it ended up being the right price. You know, we decided on $20. Uh, and to this day, you know, we're still, we have different products at different price points, but our core product uh, has stayed the same and it seems to be doing well. We have a really great lifetime value of, of a customer and, and, and really awesome metrics around people staying with us and going on that experience. Because, you know, to, to be honest, that that monthly amount is not just for the products in the box. It's for the overall experience you get to have. And, you know, the fact that we ship everywhere in the world around the same time to create this big social movement online of everybody anticipating a crate and then boom, it's there and people are sharing it and tagging things as spoiler alerts and having fun with the way that they use the products and the way they uh, photograph it and unbox it. You know, that's a really big part of our, of our company culture. And uh, that celebration of fandom is something that is always going to be something that's that, that we're going to focus on. Mm, awesome. Um, look, we have to work towards wrapping up couple questions. One, you shared about your metrics. Are you able to share like retention, churn, those those kind of numbers or? 
a lot of those those kind of business uh, related items, you know, as a privately as a private company, you know, they're we're very we're very proud of, of them. Um, but we we try to we try and save those kind of details for for other outlets, and and we we hope to be making some announcements next year that'll kind of share a little bit more around those particular details. Uh, I'm sure you can understand that, like it's it's something that uh, a lot of a lot of people are working on, and and uh, you know, it's just not something that we really as a company really kind of center around divulging. Yeah, no, no stress at all. Um, then a um, couple of last, last questions. Can you talk to us about, you know, if you were to order a loot crate, what the experience looks like and I guess how you guys are, are creating it? Sure. So we have a team, we have, you know, a, a very, a, a great sized organization here of people who are product designers, um, illustrators, designers, copywriters, and everything that we do is focused around a, a, a theme. And so once we, and those themes are generally based around major entertainment tent poles, um, things like movie releases, TV shows coming back on the air, video game releases and everything. We then work with our teams in-house, listen to all, look at all the data and the feedback that we've gotten from our subscribers over the years of what they value and the item types they're looking for. And we craft a box together that even the corrugate that is shipped in itself is bespoke and changes every month and sometimes has some sort of uh, interesting interactive element to it. Um, we then say, hey, you know, this month we're celebrating this theme and these are the franchises that are going to be in it. And you're guaranteed a T-shirt as well as, you know, a few other items that we kind of play with the mystery aspect of it. You go to our website and sign up. We then interact with you in different different touch points between when you sign up and when you get your crate with interesting games to play, content to view, music to listen to, other looters in the community who will welcome you and, and you know allow you to be however deep you want to be involved in the community, you get to kind of choose. And then you get your crate and your crate arrives, you open it up and the items inside are generally almost 90% are designed by us and are exclusive or with some, some really great partners. And you share your photos online and you talk about the things you're interested in and you see how everybody, you watch everybody else in the community kind of have that same experience. And then you get excited about doing it all over again the next month. And you get to decide, you know, what kind of commitment you'd like to have with us. And we have a large variety of different um, products based off of different fandoms. So if you're just a diehard gaming fan, we have Loot Gaming for you and you'll always get just gaming products that are there. If you're a fan of anime, we have Loot Anime. If you'd like to, to go deeper into a specific franchise like Halo or Firefly or the world of Harry Potter, we also have things for you for there. But the through line that we have through all these different products is a focus on 100% customer satisfaction and support, an experience that goes beyond the products that are in there, and a commitment to being able to provide you with something that you've never seen before and an actual feedback loop that where we want to hear how did we do, what can we do better? And that kind of journey is something that, you know, some of our subscribers have been going on with us from day one. And there are going to be some people who are going to find out, find out about the company from this podcast and what you put out there. And we welcome them and, and are uh, ready to, to, you know, have them join our community and, and become a looter. Yeah. Amazing. Um, One last, two last questions. You said that, you'll be welcomed into the community. Do you have a forum? I noticed you have a sub, your own subreddit. 
like yeah, what what is facilitating that that community welcoming and and interaction? Not just yeah, I'm I'm really curious around that. Well, we we make sure to share within the corrugate of the box as well as the magazine that we produce um, inside of the crates and our social presence everywhere. Um, your ability to be able to interact with us and others. Right now, a lot of it is on non-owned social platforms like Twitter and Facebook, but we also run our own Minecraft server. We have a video game club on Xbox Live. Now that Xbox is supporting the idea of clubs, we're on, we have our own Steam group. So if you're interested in indie games and, and the Steam platform and you can become part of that group, you know, it really, it really extends um, in quite a different play in quite a different way. And the, the biggest thing that we have right now is with Halo, um, we've been able to work with them to create something called Fireteam Apollo, which is kind of this sub-community of Halo fans that are subscribers to the Halo Legendary Crate, which is the crate that we do every other month with Microsoft. And that group not only exists online, but we've actually been able to expand into the world of Halo. Uh, and that's something really special. So the crates that you get kind of induct you into this new organization and you wear apparel and have items in the crate that is from the world of Halo, but also as part of this new this new community. And I think that's the best example of, you know, a story-driven and narrative-driven community that exists through the crate now in the expanded world of Halo, as well as um, online. Yeah, amazing. Okay, awesome. Well, look, um, two last questions before... Uh, you go, Matthew, I've really <laughs> picked your brain, man. So look, thank you so much for all your time. You've been very generous um, and you've shared a lot of gold with our community. One, three of your top biggest lessons that you've learned on running one of the, fa- like the fastest growing company in America right now, one of. Um, so three top, you know, lessons that you've learned at super action items for our audience and then the last question would be uh, the best place people can find out more about yourself and Luke Crate. I think the if I was to pick three things, the first thing would be, you know, to make sure that you are are really telling a story that you believe in, that the marketing and the promotion that you're doing is not what you think your audience wants to hear, but make sure that you actually have a good understanding of that community who you're trying to reach and that consumer that you're trying to reach. And, you know, really integrate yourself into it. We were thankful enough uh, and lucky enough that we were, you know, very large fans uh, uh, and and part of this community before it existed as a product. And so we were able to really integrate ourselves into it. I think some brands struggle a little bit with too much of like, what is the right positioning, the right words we should use and everything. And you really kind of just need to really dive into it and really live and breathe it every day. If you can see the office that I'm in right now, you know, it's surrounded by different things that that inspire me as a creator and as an entrepreneur um, that are all tied to, to pop culture. And I think, you know, that the idea that, you know, scaling is messy and then that's okay. You know, if you're not failing, you're not really getting the opportunity to learn new things. So the second thing would be to, you know, accept that there are going to be situations that are going to be outside of your control. And these are opportunities for you to be able to learn and adapt from it and make sure that you do, you have a retrospective that you don't just we solve that problem and we're moving on take the time even if it means more time after hours early mornings whatever it needs to be to meet with your team and to discuss things and even you know reflect internally what are some things that we've learned from this and how can we prevent this from happening and how can it make us a better business but i think the third thing would be is 
you know, there are still companies today that are run by entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that have an idea and they believe that, you know, the, the method of getting things out there, that there's this big difference between traditional marketing and digital marketing and, you know, our integration into making sure that social was very a big part of what we did early on and that that was the way that we'd be able to communicate because, you know, we are shipping everywhere with our with our community was really important. I know that sounds pretty basic, like, you know, make sure you have social uh, ahead of time, but that would be a whole other conversation to talk about, you know, what is the tone and the voice? What is the type of content you should be celebrating? But you should have a strategy. You should have some, you know, granted when we started this company in 54 hours, it's not like we sat around for days talking about what our strategy was going to be for social, but we, we had experience prior to that um, that allowed us to make sure that the authenticity was our, was you know the social strategy that we we rallied behind and that it wasn't just a, a a thing that we would just say that sounded good but we really did live it and we allowed people to to view it to really like you know like here it is and and I think that transparency and telling our story early on was was very important and I would I would encourage other entrepreneurs to do the same thing and I'm sorry the the the, the last question oh, the, thank you so much that was amazing um the last question is the best place people can go to find out more about Loot Crate or yourself? Oh, so, you know, myself, I'll save for, for after, but to learn about Loot Crate, um, you know, you can use the hashtag Loot Crate on pretty much any social channel and, you know, pull up any Instagrams tag Loot Crate or tweets tag Loot Crate. And you'll not only see the content that we create, but all the amazing content and sharing that our community does. Obviously, our website at lootcrate.com is a, is a good hub to learn about our products and, and what we do. We also have an internal production team that produces video content uh, called Loot Crate Studios on YouTube, which is just youtube.com slash Loot Crate. If you're more visual, you want to watch unboxings and see kind of what our company culture is all about. Uh, myself, um, I have a website, mattarvalo.me, as well as on LinkedIn. And, and I do encourage, you know, I have it open that if people do want to reach out and, and other entrepreneurs want to discuss or talk about things, you know, and and trade strategies and ideas and everything. Uh, it's something that I really believe in that, you know, by working together, we can really kind of do some really amazing things. So that's, that's basically it. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Matthew. I, um, this has been incredible. Thank you very much, Nathan. And uh, I, I'm um, happy to, uh, to be able to spend this time with you. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.